Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Tanya Silverstein has built a successful almost two-decade career with a specialty of negotiation and talent endorsements of all sizes. After starting her career in public relations at Ketchum and then MSL Group, she then spent a decade at Burns Entertainment representing startups to Fortune 100 companies, both in the U.S. and globally, on the brand side of the negotiation table. She also worked with the SWA roster of 50-plus celebrity stylists and artists on their brand endorsements. Tanya is now working freelance with brands to negotiate endorsement deals and empowering influencers and reps of influencers through her contract and negotiation workshops. It is so nice to have you on today. Welcome to the podcast. How's your day going so far? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Um, the weather, I'm here in Chicago, the weather is kind of dreary again. So <laughs> it makes for being inside helpful. It, it does, right? What's the temperature there like right now? I don't know, maybe about in the 40s. Oh my gosh, it's still in the 40s there? <laughs> yeah, kind of gross. <laughs> wow, it's like the end of April. It's I the, know. It's the 40s. I know. I gotta, really I gotta say though, I there's a, so many things that I love about Chicago. And one of them is that you guys really know how to do summer. Yes, summer is amazing. I just hope we get to have it here yeah. Um, yeah. with everything going on. So um, summer in Chicago is absolutely amazing. Um, the streets are lively and um, I can't wait to be out there again. Yeah. How are you guys holding up with everything? How's how what's the sense uh, in Chicago? It's a huge city. So what is it like there? Um, our mayor is hardcore. I don't know if the memes have gotten outside of the city yet, but our the mayor here in Chicago is pretty hardcore. So she uh, has a lot of memes going on about her and um, telling everyone to stay home. I think for the most part, it's um, people are doing really well. Um, the unlike New York, the apartments and houses are a little bit bigger. So people have a little bit more space, which is nice. Um, but overall, um, I think that we're all just taking it day by day and everyone's situation is a little bit different. And um, being out there to, to help as much as people can is, um, is important, no matter what line of work you're in. It is a hundred percent. Could not agree more. Um, I think it's like it's this really unique time in history where that is the case, right? Um, where your neighbor, who maybe I don't know, in New York City where I am, right? Like you either most people just don't need to know their neighbors, right? <laughs> in most circumstances, and now we all do. You know your neighbors. Um, it, it's so interesting. So, are you guys wearing face coverings and masks when you go out? We are, we are. Um, and I think that's in my neighborhood, there's actually a fine if you don't 
have wow. a face covering um, wow. in the city that I live in. I live in a suburb of Chicago and um, there's actually fines that are being instituted if you're not wearing face coverings. That's um, which, great. Which yeah. is good and bad at the same time, but I think it's great because it's making people more aware. Um, and like you said, for neighbors, you know, we're checking, we have a couple elderly neighbors that live in the houses next to us and we check on them and they appreciate it and, you know, drop off cookies or just ring their doorbell and run away and make sure that they're there and wave because it's not like normal where you're out and about and you see people walking around. Um, so to do, to check on people is important. Yeah. I was going to say about neighbors. Um, I find since, so, so we've, you know, we have face coverings too. We have masks and we go out and I find that because I've got this thing covering half my face, like no one will see if I make a little smile towards them when I get right. in the elevator or something like that. So I actually find myself making more of a conversation with people um, or, you know, waving my hand or, you know, like saying good morning more often because I can't make like a little, a little, like there's no facial gestures right. that I can communicate. So um, it is, it's actually encouraging people. And I, I also just feel like we're locked up, we're cooped up so much that like it's just nice to have a little interaction with someone you don't know everything's so heavy so it's like even these little moments have more gravity to them which is is really nice absolutely definitely having meaningful and purposeful communication yeah um, is is helping I think yeah yeah so I we've been I've been wanting to get you on this podcast for a while and I'm oh, thank so you. happy that we're doing this right now um I'm just happy to share you with everybody who's listening um so you have so much knowledge you've got an extensive background working for a lot of different companies in different capacities and like you are a wealth of information in my opinion we heard a bit about your background and um about you in the intro to this podcast but I think it's always best to hear it from your in your words so just tell everybody listening like a little bit about your journey to influencer marketing and how you got to where you are today sure well I started my career in New York um, I lived there for about six seven years um, and while I was there I worked at PR agencies and worked in entertainment departments of PR agencies and I was at a point in my career that I had to make a decision. I chose to go the entertainment route. And I moved to Chicago, which is kind of weird that you'd move to Chicago for entertainment. But I did. I moved to Chicago to work for um, an entertainment agency and was there for 10 years. Um, and I moved and started in Chicago right at the time where social media and influencers were kicking off about 12 years ago. Um, when YouTube and Facebook were just starting to become more mainstream. Um, and I was working with brands and agencies on spokespeople. And um, more and more with them were starting to use influencers. And so then I started leading the influencer department at the agency and built that and did added value and all of these things and then moved it to um, a different role where the brands and agencies were then using experts and hairstylists and um, uh, and using these influencers in a different way and using them more as an, a tool and as an educational um, expert um, and truly what their expertise is rather than just a social post right here and there. Um, and then I left that agency and went to a talent agency representing hair, makeup, wardrobe stylists. Um, a roster of about 50 people. 
Um, and I was there for a year. It was great. Um, I realized very soon that it was, um, I preferred the brand side of things, um, but I understand the talent side and it was a really good insight to that world. Um, I think that there's very, in this world, there's two different kinds of people, a brand person and a talent person. <laughs> and um, I'm definitely uh, feel if I'm representing someone that I feel that I'm better to represent the brand, but when it comes to a contract, um, to understand both sides of it is really helpful in a negotiation. Um, then I left there and for the last year and a half, I've been on my own. I've been freelancing, working with um, both um, talent agencies and brands, um, PR agencies, ad agencies to procure talent or to negotiate deals on behalf of talent um, and seeing both sides. Um, I've been able to progress this into a career in the part of that everyone, not everyone, a lot of people find really stressful and boring and crazy is the contract. And that's the part that I really like. And I like being able to have a really exciting conversation about what's going to happen when and how. So that way the deal when it is executed is smooth. Um, I find that when contracts aren't negotiated upfront correctly or at all, frankly, during the execution of the contract, there's problems. But if it's done correctly upfront, then we're able to um, make a really exciting win-win proposition for both parties. So now, after having extensive experience on both sides, like you have seen the good, the bad, the ugly <laughs> on the brand side, on the you know talent side, I love that you gravitate towards the brand side. Um, I I'm obviously I'm on the opposite side, but you know I there are so many there you know being on either side, you can see pros to each, right? Um, based on your experience, though, what is it that really sold you about working with brands? What do you love about that the most? I love being able to see the creative execution come together, um, have a brand voice of taking something non-tangible and turn it tangible, I guess. Um, uh, and again, the brands that I've worked with, everything from luxury to consumer packaged goods, um, they are things that we use in our everyday life, right? And I see how people buy. I think it's exciting how um, the choices that brands make in the voice that they have um, or in the spokespeople that they use and the content that they put out, whether that's through a, a spokesperson or a social post or a, um, an advertisement, um, can influence purchase. Um, and good products are always going to be good products. Um, and when I when I got my my second job in PR, I was hired, um, the woman that hired me was the head of the department at the time, and she said, we have um, an air freshener client. How do you make air freshener sexy? Like that was her question to me. That was my interview question. I was like, well, and then we created like a, program on the spot and it was really cool and it's like how do you do that right um and that's what I think is really exciting about brands but also brands working with talent and 
having that connection and building something really fantastic together, um, which is why I've gravitated towards this world of endorsements. It's interesting, right? It's like on the brand side, I see it as an opportunity to sell yourself to the influencers in in a certain way, right? It's like, you know, idealistically, they you all sign on to work together because there's a mutual um, benefit there. Like they, they there's a mutual respect. Like the the brand likes the talents uh, content, and the talent loves the brand, right? But they're working with tons of brands, let's be honest, right? So like the challenge, which I think is what you're articulating, it, it's it sounds fun, right? It's like, okay, but like for this program, like how do we get everybody to be so invested in this brand in particular, even knowing that you're working with so many others, you know, like how do we have this brand be your best brand partnership of the year? How do we have this one be so memorable and really stand out um, and I'm sure that there's so much creativity that goes behind it. And, um, and it's also has, I think from my side of things, it seems like from the brand side, you just, you get to focus in a bit more, um, versus being on the talent side where you're working on so many different brand partnerships. There's so many different clients and influencers to work with, but for the brand side, you really have the opportunity to just really focus, you know, really drill down. What is our messaging? What is our goal? What is X, Y, and Z? And then ideally you go ahead and you conquer all those things and you check all those boxes. Um, so, Talk to us maybe a little bit about one of those partnerships that you worked on on the brand side, one that you enjoyed maybe the most. And like, what do you feel like that special sauce was? Like, was it the people that were on that project? Was it the influencers on the project? Was it the brand itself? Like, there's so many things that it could have been. But talk to us a little bit about an example of one that just went really, really well. Oh, my gosh. There's so many of like, I'm trying to think back of. Um, so one example that actually used a bunch of influencers, um, was the launch of, um, Unilever did a program for all things hair, which was if, if the listeners that don't know, Unilever, um, sells Dove, Suave, Tresemme, uh, they are, um, they, together as a family of products, um, launched an editorial website um, about hair styles commentary um, and used spokespeople, but their spokespeople were stylists. Um, Their spokespeople were influencers. Um, And um, along with the PR agency, we created a, a really intricate, multi-tier level program where there was multiple videos a month for that went on the talents YouTube and the brands YouTube and on social media and um, it won awards and it it raised awareness and it was a partnership with Google and it became this very large thing now the part that I worked on was specifically the talent but to see this whole program to come together in a 360 direction um, was just really incredible. Um, And I think what's really important about a project like that, um, that to the consumer on the outside, they just see the video, right? And they're like, oh, that was easy to get this person to talk about this. But you had an 
ad agency, you had a PR agency, you had an analytics agency, you had an entertainment agency, and to really come and a client, right? And you had all of these people coming together um, and truly working as a team to make sure that it was executed. Um, the idea of being able to pull it together um, as a group, I think, is uh, is very memorable. Yeah, and it's this great like collaborative process. Absolutely. At the end of it, I can only imagine that you all like the feeling that you all have collectively. Like, look what we did together, um, and that's pretty cool. And I can see a clear distinction between that experience and working on the talent side because on the talent side it can be pretty siloed um certainly from an influencer's perspective themselves like they're you know in a lot of instances like a one-stop shop um and even as a management you know there are a you know a handful of management companies out there that are large and i'm sure that they feel like they have this camaraderie amongst them which is lovely but i would venture to say that most manage most managers are small management companies or like one-stop management you know you're a one-person uh company um, so it, it is, it's a very different experience. And I always like to remind everybody listening, um, especially some of the, the women listening who are earlier on in their careers and trying to find, you know, am I, do I, am I more of on the brand side? Am I more on the talent side? Because I love influencers, but where do I belong? It is, it's being able to identify, um, these key takeaways from the experience and being able to have enough self-awareness to know what you thrive off of, what excites you, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. To just be able to be honest with um, with yourself. Uh, doing internships, for example, is a fantastic way to be able to learn the experience and to just figure out what does fit you the best. Um, but there are so many different avenues within the influencer space. And I never want to forget that we talk even a lot about just the brand and the talent space, but even beyond that, there's so many different avenues to go on. Um, case in point, now you're focusing a lot on the contract piece of it, which is so interesting to me. Um, I would say historically that's, you know, been covered usually by, you know, a, an in-house lawyer or they'll delegate it to, or outsource it, I should say, to, you know, a law firm of sorts, um, or the worst case scenario is nobody looks at the contract. And that unfortunately happens way more often than it should. Um, so talk about your transition to that. What about looking over the contracts do you really enjoy? And um, what have been some of the, the success stories that you've had um, having this new focus? Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I think to your point, right, like the is a time where you don't, um, sometimes there's lawyers and sometimes there's not lawyers and um, especially talent or smaller programs. They're like, I'm only making $500 or I'm only making $1,000 and the lawyer is gonna cost me that much money to look at it. Why am I sending this to a lawyer? Um, and that's one of the reasons that I'm doing what I'm doing to help educate talent and small, um, uh, representatives of talent, right? Like who are um, starting or have maybe, you know, a handful of, of talent that they're representing, they're doing and negotiating contracts for to make sure that when 
when they go to a negotiation table, um, whatever that table might look like, right? Um, when they go to a negotiation, they understand what the terms mean. Um, it's not for my my role as a negotiator is not to necessarily tell you as a brand or as a talent what is the right answer, right? Um, I can give you guidance, and I'm and I do because I have a PR-sided brain, right? That that says, oh, maybe this is a good idea, or have you thought about this? And just from years of working in the industry, understanding and knowing what is standard or what is um, been successful to make recommendations. But at the same time, um, if you as a talent want to give 10 days of your time for $1,000, then that's great. Then you, you do that, right? If you want to give 10, 10 days of your time for a million dollars, that's also great. You should also do that. Um, but what I can do is help and what I've done and um, working with the clients that I have been working with and the stuff that I'm excited about is um, being able to make sure that when you get to the negotiation table, you are speaking the same language, that you understand um, what the big words mean without a lawyer having to explain them to you. Um, so that way you use a lawyer when you actually really need a lawyer. Um, and you, um, and if you aren't using a lawyer, which you should, you should absolutely always use a lawyer, uh, but if you're not using a lawyer, you at least feel confident in the decisions that you're making and the, in, the, the contract that you're signing, you're going into with open eyes. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there, there are lots of things to keep in mind in, um, in terms of contracts. Um, like you said, it's, it, it's really smart to really just start at step one, right? It's like, how much is this worth? You know, this, this partnership, uh, you know, how much is it worth? And I will just chime in to say that, um, you know, the worth of a contract is only partially based on the compensation. Um, and that's really, really important to keep in mind when we're negotiating contracts on behalf of influencers. You know, we talk about things like usage rights, certainly about exclusivity, um, where, you know, the exclusivity provisions could preclude you from working on additional campaigns that would be income generating, of course. So while this one is worth X, you could potentially be losing out on YZ, ABC, <laughs> all these huge amounts of money because of what you've signed. Um, I think that like step one is um, doing a brief analysis, right, of like, what is this worth to me to figure out who you need to align with in order to be an advocate for you. Um, and I love the fact that you are an advocate for um, anybody that you're negotiating on behalf of. Um, it's such a rewarding feeling because, you know, as an influencer I, or even as a manager, you can't expect one person to be able to be incredible at everything. It's completely unrealistic. I've said this for years. You know, it's crazy to me that I hear of other managers who are responsible for negotiating campaign management, invoicing, contracts, like, uh, you know, their own social media. I mean, it's nuts to be able to think that you can do all of that well. And just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. And in a lot of instances, it's finding an incredible partner to be able to team up with in order for your business to, 
to grow, to scale. So whether it's an influencer personally who maybe doesn't even have talent management yet um, and they're like, oh my God, I'm editing my videos. I'm the talent. I'm the, you know, I'm the photographer, the everything. I also have to do contracts. And again, just because you can, just because, you know, you're an educated person, you've seen lots of contracts before, you can read English, even though it seems like it's not English sometimes, these contracts, (laughs) but it actually just is. Um, you know, it, it benefits a lot of people to partner with people uh, other than themselves who can advocate and who can be there to support. What are other reasons that that you've seen where you've been most useful to people who bring you on as part of their team? I think it's um, the the biggest thing that I've seen is that in this world, in this very short period of time, right? Definitely the last five years, but really the last 12 years, um, influencer marketing has become something new. And the last couple of years, um, for, for as long as I can remember, actually, and as we've been talking about influencers, um, it's the what people call it the Wild West, right? And there's people are trying to put structure around it. And um, the problem is, is that people are, you might have, like you said, you might be really, you might be smart, you can read English, you can do it, but the contract that you're using or talent is using or you're using for your clients if you're a manager um, might be negotiated five times and then that's the version that you keep using, right? Um, Or um, you might be looking at a document um, and you have questions, you ask your cousin's brother, sister, who once posted something and got paid by a big brand, so they must know the answer. Um, so when when cl- my clients have brought me in on both the town and the brand side, I'm coming from, um, you know, almost two decades of negotiation experience and brand where things lie and fall. And so bringing it back to the beginning of a contract, whether that is favorable to the brand or to the talent, um, depending on where, um, where we're starting from, right? Um, and, and make sure that they understand that and, and are in a position to, that they understand they're in a position to execute from that place um, rather than oh yeah, well, this person didn't give me insurance, so I shouldn't ask for insurance for this one. Or this person is calling me an independent contractor, but this person's calling me an employee. What's the difference between that? Um, So being able to explain that information uh, and in in a way that is digestible and doesn't make it incredibly boring. Um, And if you have questions, I'm willing to spend as long as it takes to answer those questions. Um, and, and I think and be that, that partner. Yeah. And I love that so much. And I think that is the interesting, really interesting niche that you found because you can easily, like people can spend all sorts of money on lawyers and lawyers just naturally cost, you know, there's a certain threshold to sort of like pay to play when it comes to hiring a lawyer. Um, and in certain instances, like you said, if you've done like the first round of analysis on a contract and it's, you know, a half a million dollar contract, 
yeah, a lawyer should absolutely take a look at that 1000%. Um, but there is also, number one, a threshold in which just partnering up with someone you trust um, could really uh, do a good analysis to protect you from certain things. Um, in a lot of instances, I'm sure you have this experience, um, you can, you just redline a contract and it, whether it's it's a, a more in uh, a more complicated clause or or not and you and and you might have been very surprised to just have the other side say oh sure accepted red lines accepted moving on um it's one of these things that is baffling to me sometimes when i see uh people negotiate try to negotiate for themselves and they're intimidated by it or, you know, they just don't like to ask for things for themselves. And um, there's so much value that you bring to the table. But w- one of the many things is simply just being a, a third party to be able to advocate on behalf of the talent or of the brand to just provide a non you know, a a neutral, somewhat neutral, not neutral, of course, right? Like not neutral. You're you're, you're obviously negotiating on the behalf of one side, Um, but it's not as emotionally charged. Um, And what I think is also really important to emphasize about your experience in particular, you've done this for, can I say decades now? Almost 20 years. Yeah. So almost 20 years worth of experience. Um, seeing the amount of contracts that you've seen, the amount of negotiations that you've been a part of, and to be able to to know that like, just to be able to pull from that arsenal and say like, oh, so for this clause, like I've asked for this sort of thing before. To know when you have your sticking points, you have personally so many different options that you can pull from simply because of all of that extensive amount of experience that you've you've gone through on both sides nonetheless. So if you can't tell, I'm really enthusiastic <laughs> about what you're doing. <laughs> Thank um, you. I think it's, I just, I can't emphasize enough how much value you bring. So let's like, let's just chat a little bit about contracts just to give some people listening a little bit of some freebies um, and just some advice about, you know, things to look for, um, high level stuff, you know, tricks that you may not tricks, but you know, tricks that you sort of, um, learned over the years about ways to negotiate. What are some high level things that you think people listening should keep in mind when they are negotiating a contract? So I'll give you three big ones that I think, um, the first one is look for the keywords, right? Like a word like perpetuity, or where the usages are, where the territory is, how long the term is, term is the length of time, the con- the materials that are being created can be used for. So in a traditional, you know, pretty standard uh, spokesperson contract, you'll have the usages, like the, the content that's being created, and how and where, when, not only you as a talent, but where a brand can use that content and how they can use it, um, the ter- how long it can be used for and where it can be used, right? So in the world of internet, internet really is worldwide. So um, that makes it challenging from an exclusivity standpoint if you're trying to um, do things that are more geo-targeted, but that's possible too, depending on what the deal is. But um, the big thing is, 
where can you use it and for how long? Um, can you use things in perpetuity, meaning forever? Um, can certain things stay up on social media for a really long time and not be removed? Yeah, that's fine because it just goes through a life cycle. But to be able to make sure that as a talent, you say that a brand can't repost it, right? So during the term, they can use it, they can repost it how many ever times they want. Maybe you get a number to that. Um, but after the term, once it's up, it's up, it remains static. Um, it becomes a part of the life cycle of their social media or of the content. They want to use it other places or for other reasons, um, then they have to pay for it. Um, that leads you into ownership. So who owns the materials? The materials that you're creating, um, who does that belong to? Um, I usually say ownership doesn't really matter. Um, when it comes to the creation of materials, as long as you as an influencer or a talent um, maintain ownership over your own like photo and stuff like that. Um, so that way you can use that um, if it's not brand related. But if you take a picture, let's just say for. There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Um, this pencil, right? So this pencil or this pen is my, um, my I'm doing a writing um, project and um, I post something on Instagram with my, with my pen and it's a very fancy pen. Um, I then uh, should be able to maintain the ownership of that picture and my name and all that stuff and vice versa. The brand needs to maintain the ownership of their intellectual property. However, if there's tips and trends and content and um, a special ad or something that's been created, um, that's something I feel like you just don't fight for because who cares? Because you're, Going back to the usages, you're only allowing the usages during the term. So if they want to keep using that, it doesn't matter whether they own it or not. They're not allowed to use it unless they pay you more money. So ownership over materials and content that's created, um, I always say to both sides, frankly, it doesn't really matter who owns it because you can't use it unless you, um, unless you, unless you pay for it. Absolutely. So, um, so those are two big things. Um, and then another one is being really clear on the services. Um, when someone says, I want, you know, a brand comes to you and says two Instagram posts. That's great. But what does that mean? Are they videos? Um, are, do they need to be tagged a certain way? Are, are they um, uh, still images? Does the still image, does the product need to be present? Um, does it need to, does the brand need approval over it first? Does the, um, uh, I'm trying to think of like a million other things that needs to be included in that, but like every single little detail um, that you can think of. And, and if you don't have the answer at the time that the contract is being written, it's okay. It just needs to stay at client direction, right? It needs to say from a client point of view, if you're a brand and you're listening to this, make sure that you put in there that 
you tell that you're going to be giving that direction at a later date and it'll be mutually agreed upon reasonably, right? So you have a general idea of what it's going to be. Um, but if you're asking someone, if you're asking a food influencer to make a recipe, but you don't ask for that in the beginning, but the post you're paying, I'm making this up, paying $1,000 for a post, but the recipe cost $5,000, but you negotiate for that in advance, you then have to renegotiate later because the expectations weren't set in advance. Um, so really, truly making sure it's clear on both sides. And from a talent perspective, um, you want to make sure that you go in and you make the client as happy as possible because you want them to use you again, right? You want them to come back to you. You want to be able to over deliver and do something really special. So um, from a client perspective, I mean, from a, uh, the talent perspective, if you are um, your five stories and you're like, yeah, I'll do five stories, but obviously your job is to try to get it as low as possible. Um, maybe you negotiate down to three, but then you give them five. So it looks fantastic at the end. Um, uh, and then you're just able to make sure it's a really clear and concise um, list um, uh, of what needs to be presented. So understanding the term, the usages, the ownership and the services, I think are the big things. Oh, if I'm throwing one more exclusivity, to your point before, um, exclusivity, know what you can and can't do. Um, what are the expectations of the of your partner? Um, and to understand what limits there are, because to your point before, um, Jesse, what you said was, if you, uh, if they block you, if you are a beauty influencer, and you can't write about any other lipsticks, um, uh, then then you're not about, about any of the lipsticks for three months for a $1,000 social post. Like that's not worth it. Um, if you talk about lipstick every Tuesday, right? Um, so those are some things to think about. Absolutely. And those are huge, huge, huge things to think about. The The reality, and I think that uh, what's becoming so clear in this conversation is just how important these contracts are. You know, I'm like, say three things. And, you know, these three things were shortened as much as humanly possible, but they're <laughs> so complex. Like, they're very complex. Negotiations are complex as much as people might say, you know, eh, it's an influencer contract. They're all the same. Like, I don't know what world those people are living. And I've never really seen many of them be the same. Um, in fact, the ones that I have seen that have been the most simple are usually the ones I'm a little weary about, to be honest. Um, because you, to me, what that screams is like, oh, this person hasn't really worked with influencers enough. Because to your point before is like, if you do work in this space enough, you know what things to put in your contract. And there are a lot of, it's thinking 10 steps ahead. It's being burned once or twice on something and learning from that experience and making sure that from that moment on, you are always including this provision, that language, this requirement. And um, so it really is, it's those simple contracts that 
you can read. It's a one-page contract. It's there's basically nothing to it where people be like, oh, like this is this is great. It's basically like no requirements of me. Keep in mind, you have requirements of the other side as well. And that's I think, you know, that that is I think really important to remember just when you're negotiating in general, whether you're a brand working with a, a mega influencer that you you know sometimes brands are working with huge influencers and i can imagine they get intimidated by that as well um it, it and then of course vice versa if you're you know maybe a micro influencer working with a huge brand there's a lot of opportunities i think to get intimidated by the other side or nervous about um what you can and can't redline or ask for but at the end of the day the best partnerships really respect each other. And both sides recognize that they also need the other side. They each need each other. So I would say, and this is something that I'm sure you do really well, which is going into any negotiation, just having the right mindset as well to be able to approach it in that way and just know that we're we're going in and we're negotiating this contract for the partnership's sake. (laughs) Not even one side or the other, but for the success of the partnership. So at the end of this partnership, if this contract is negotiated well, if the first conversation we have is about this contract, it's setting the tone for the rest of that partnership. And um, if it's done well and it ends successfully, the partnership's fantastic. And hopefully you'll be negotiating a lot more contracts in the future. Absolutely. I think to your point, um, at the end of the day, we're all human. And we need to remember that there's a human on the other side of the table from you and whether you represent a brand, um, if you're a talent and you are negotiating with a brand, there's a person that you're talking to. Um, and that's the person, maybe that's the person you're going to be dealing with moving forward, but um, there's a person over there that wants this to happen. They're making you an offer or your talent an offer because they see what's good and how it can be a win-win for everyone and be mutually beneficial. Um, And being part of the, being part of this amazing relationship to bring good that makes it for both sides um, and gets the job done um, is always so rewarding. And that I think is definitely my favorite part about this job. So let's talk a little bit about, because we can't have a podcast without talking about it. The world that exists right now, um, that is COVID-19, coronavirus, it's, it af- has affected our industry so much. Um, it will continue to affect the industry, the world, everything. I mean, it, it can't be minimized. It can't be glazed over as much as you know, I've been debating, do we, you know, you have so many great things to talk about contracts and your experience. And I'd love to do a whole episode just about that. Like, I feel like people would really benefit from hearing your opinions about where you think we're all going, the direction that we're headed, uh, simply because the world has changed. Um, so, you know, as a, as someone who's worked also for, you know, very large companies to smaller companies, and now you're a freelancer on your own, I'm sure, I can't imagine that you haven't been doing a bit of analysis about where we all sit now that the world has changed. Um, Advertising, uh, a lot of things have been put on hold. Um, A lot of people have just shifted strategy a ton. Um, 
the great thing about your position, about where you are from one business person to another is there will always be contracts. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm personally like, I'm really happy for you because this seems like a great you know, a great niche that you found pre-COVID or post-COVID. Um, but I think that for everybody listening who who uh, interacts with influencer marketing in a variety of different ways, I think they'd love to hear your perspective. Having been in the industry for so long, what do you see post-COVID? I'm just going to leave it as vague as possible and just see how you answer that question. But yeah, like, what do you see post-COVID for influencer marketing? I think influencer marketing is definitely going to um, be taken a little bit more seriously. I think that this has um, been an opportunity for people to, in general, people to be more creative um, and uh, do things that they might not have done before, um, to be more creative in how you deliver materials, how you record, how you photograph, right? Like all these beautiful cityscapes and beach views and all that stuff, like what's important and, and how is that changing? I think from a brand perspective, um, uh, it's even more important to look at talent that are creating solid content. And from a talent perspective, honest, you know, I think people are being weeded out by the content that they are creating, um, people that are creating phenomenal content, regardless of their follower size, because let's be honest, you can buy that and, and views um, from a brand side, you can always put, um, you can always boost it um, and put money behind that. So the people that are creating beautiful content, I think are going to go further. I think that agencies um, and brands are going to be looking for different and creative ways to produce content. Um, they're going to be able to rely on the talent to create and produce their more on their own. Um, I, there was an article that I saw about, you know, creative ways to do photo shoots at home and um, different ways to look at production and products to, to use and services and, and all of those things. I think that um, the brands are going to rely more on that. I think it unfortunately means that ad agencies and to my ad agency friends, I'm sorry. Um, but I think that ad agencies aren't going to be able to charge as much money for big productions. There's always going to be the need for a big production. You use a big talent, you're gonna have a big production, right? Like that's just the way that it is. Or for certain things, there's always going to be a big Um, I think that the of the influencer is here. It, it's not going anywhere. I think that the the influencers that create great content and pro provide an expertise. I think the experts are going to be the ones that are thriving at the end of all of this. The people that have um, a point of view. And when I say expert, I, I don't mean like a doctor or a hairstylist or something like that. I mean you could be a, a beauty influencer or a fitness person or a chef, you know, a home cook. Um, and exceed in your in your category. So to have a point of view um, that makes you different and stand out from from others. Uh, if you're creating beautiful content, um, there will be a need for that, and I think that's where the brands are going to be going. And I, you know, some people have I don't know. I'm sure they have a lot of opinions about that, but. Um... 
Darwinism is a real thing. Yes. And I'm not even mad at it in this situation. I would say that pre-COVID, to your point, there were a lot of lookalike influencers and um, influencers in certain categories, especially, could be a dime a dozen. And I that was sort of the world that we were living in. And I think that now they're just going to be expected to do more uh, because people are going to need that efficiency and going to need to have their dollar uh, go way further than perhaps ever before. And um, the people who, you know, are doing crazy things like unresponsive to emails or, um, you know, uh, producing content late um, or not following a brief, like talk about inefficiency. Like there's just no, there's going to be no time or there's certainly going to be um, no, uh, no patience for that anymore, nor should there be. I mean, there shouldn't have been in the beginning. There right? shouldn't have been. Absolutely. And so I- I'm not mad at it. I actually, I hope to be honest that that is the direction that we go in. Um, I think that everybody really has to step up. Um, it's really, you can equate it to what's going on right now in the world, just even outside of influencer marketing. It's like everybody is really put in a position where they really have to step up in in their lives to say like, all right, in order to keep my family fed, I got to think more creatively. I have to hustle more than maybe I ever have before. And, you know, some people could say that it's a generational thing that certain generations sort of uh, are, are better at that than others. Um, and I think all that I think about that is that it's a good opportunity for everybody to be able to prove to themselves that they can work harder and smarter and just better than ever before. So, I, yeah, I, I hope that that's where it goes. And I hope that the people who are able to do all those things rise to the top because they earned it. Absolutely. And I think also at the end of this, people are going to remember people right? They're going to remember the people that gave, they're going to remember the people that um, did good things. The talent is going to recognize the brands that did good things that were paying them um, and not breaking contracts. The brands that were still executing and putting out um, key messages that were relevant and not tone deaf. Um, The, the, Brands are going to remember the talent that were able to pivot in a way that was creative and helpful. Um, the brands are going to remember the talent that, to your point, answered emails, that reached out, that did great things. Um, and I think it's going to be that way for a really long time. Um, I think that it's not going to, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Do you think that the type of advertisements will change at all? I, I know that like in the in the short term, you know, there's a lot of sensitivity out there, of course, as I, I, I don't know, as I think there should be. But, you know, things are going to things are going to die down and um, people are going to start getting back to work. The economy is going to, you know, improve. I can't lie and say it's going to get back to what it was before. It's going to take a long time for it to do that. But things are going to return to normal. Do you think ad like marketing or advertising in general will change due to COVID? I think in the short term it will. I think that 
the brands are going to market in a different way. I think that it's going to take some time for them to get back to what their normal is. I think it's just going to be a new normal. I think that there's a lot going on in the world that people are recognizing. Now, at the end of the day, there's a lot of luxury and dare I say, even frivolous products that are out there that are not necessities that still need marketing and still need, um, that still have a purpose and a being and a reason for purchase. And that's not to say that they, they shouldn't be out there. They absolutely should. There's a market for everyone. And I think there's enough to go around. I just don't know if they'll be activating the same way that they were previously. They'll just have to maybe change what, what, like, I'd love to dig into that a little bit. Like, they'll just have to change the tone, like, change with how many people they're working with. Like, what do you think? I think it's the, I think it's the message, right? I think it's, it's their target. I think it's understanding who their target is. Has their target changed because of this? There's a lot of people that were, you know, making a hundred to $150,000 a year, which for most of America is a lot of money um, and, you know, puts them slowly in the middle to upper middle class. And they were spending money to, uh, on, on things that weren't necessities, but with this, maybe someone lost in their family, lost their job. Maybe they lost a person to the disease. Um, maybe they're business is down. And so even though they still have a job, they had to take a 50% pay cut. Um, you know, there's a lot of different changes. So is the, is their target market still the same target market? I think that the companies that, um, aren't necessities are going to be doing a lot of analysis or they should be doing, I think in general, regardless of what the company is, right. They should do the analysis of who is their market and is it the same person that it was six months ago than it is today? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I've definitely heard a lot of people talking about the luxury market for obvious reasons, right? Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, I don't know that the luxury market is really going – personally, it's just it's my opinion – I don't really know the luxury market is going to – change as much as maybe people think. I don't think um, it's going to change that much because the people who are luxury are still going to buy luxury. Still the, people, the people who were making a lot of money before COVID aren't really the ones who are necessarily the, like the, the most, uh, the, um, what am I trying to say? They're, they're not the ones who are in danger of necessarily of losing their jobs. They're not the ones who are living paycheck to paycheck. These are people who, you know, have a bit of a, uh, you know, some cushion in their bank accounts and they're accustomed to a certain lifestyle perhaps. Um, I think that maybe those luxury brands being more, um, those luxury brands being more socially conscious um, would just benefit them from a an optics perspective. Um, but there are, like you were saying, the analysis is multifaceted, right? It's like, who are they selling products to? Has that changed? Is that going to change? Of course, which influencers are they going to work with? Uh, but also just how they are seen as a brand in the world. And all of those things should be scrutinized and, and analyzed in 
independently of each other um, because they, I, I think they, they are different. I mean, they are different. Um, they're different paths to take. Um, and, um, and I think that all industries, not just luxury, let's not just pick on the luxury industry. Um, you know, a lot of people, of course, have been talking a lot about the travel industry in particular. The thing is like, were, I don't know, maybe I'm a little, maybe I'm jaded in a good way because I live in New York, which, you know, we identify ourselves as so resilient and we can get through anything and um, we're tough. But like, I'm also an eternal optimist. And I think that the whole country is certainly the whole world. Like, we all want to get back to normal. We all want to get back to what, what, the the good that we had in our lives before. And I feel like especially because it's a collective experience that we're all going to lean on each other and therefore have more strength to get back to it. Um, So, you know, in terms of the influencer space, um, I hope that there's a return to what was, but my takeaway is I hope that it's it's just better than it was before. I agree with you. And I think it's an important point to make that you made, which is I think the ad agencies and creative agencies are going to be hit a bit. Um, I think that anybody who's not uh, ad agency, someone's going to come after me (laughs) for saying (laughs) this, but I think that people who are absolutely the ones who are necessary to have these, um, partnerships come to life, um, those are going to be the ones who are going to stick around and the ones who are a little bit more superfluous, uh, the ones could go away unless they absolutely really justify themselves. Um, And again, I think this is just an opportunity for everybody to just say like, I'm going to put my stake in the grounds. Like I am absolutely necessary and here's why. So I hope that ad agencies and creative agencies and all sorts of people who by certain estimations might seem more superfluous, I hope that they stand their ground and I hope they really prove their value. That is I think the the outcome of of all this absolutely, and I think it goes for the talent the same way, right? Like the talent that is doing good, that is a good partner, that is even to the point of going above and beyond, and um, whatever that means for that person, right? Um, answering emails on time uh, in a timely fashion and being pleasant and a pleasure to work with. Um, those are the people that are going to survive, not only this, but just in general in this industry, right? There's a lot of people who um, will make a boatload of money that are not great to work with, um, but it dies down real fast. And um, there's some people that I've had in my past, no names mentioned, that were not great to work with at all. And they are not anywhere now on social in a matter of two years, right? Like they made a boatload of money and good for them. They had their 15 minutes. Um, They grew really fast, got their money and they're out. And maybe that's what they wanted. Maybe that's what was good for them. But um, because they created great content, if they were nice to work with, they'd still be here and they'd still be making great money. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it goes for both sides. Um, And it, I think is really important just to, at the end of the day, remember, we're all human. And yes, people make mistakes. Um, but 
there's something about being kind and generous and understanding that you're entering into this relationship, going back to contracts, right? You're entering into this relationship um, to do really good things and to mm-hmm. be a part of something that you want to be a part of. Otherwise, say no and move on. Yeah, absolutely. And so to 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 further emphasize uh, about the contracts piece of it, um, you know, we're talking a little bit about, you know, when it's maybe right to go to a lawyer and maybe when it's right to really to go to you. Um, what would you say are um, the the best ideal circumstances when somebody could say like, oh, Tanya is the person that I definitely need to reach out to? All the time. <laughs> no. That's the um, right answer. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. And if I can't answer a question, I will always say, talk to your lawyer about it. Um, if I mark up a contract for you, I will always say, here's some suggestions, but talk to your lawyer. I defer to your legal team. Um, because at the end of the day, every contract is different. Um, I think that, uh, what I do now is I work with both brands and agencies and, and talent and talent agencies, um, depending on what it is. So um, call me, you can find me online, you can go to my website. Um, it's Tanya Silverstein everywhere. So literally my website, my LinkedIn, my Instagram, um, just Tanya Silverstein. Uh, you can find me and ask, I'm happy to answer questions. And if I'm not the right fit for you, then I will say, maybe you should talk to this person. Um, and that so- is one thing that I really, really respect about you. You have sent me referrals to other people. You've been so honest in your work with, like just, I I really respect how you work. Um, and I, we've known each other for a few years now, um, which has been wonderful just to seeing, you know, all the different uh, success stories that you've had and like the uh, directions that you've gone. Um, but now seeing where you are and that you're really investing in yourself, I'm personally so, so excited for you. And Tanya came to me and said, you know, I'm working on contracts now. Why don't you just send me a contract and I'll redline it and I'll just show you what my work looks like. And I was like, I love that. That was like, I don't know if you do that for everybody. I don't know if I should even be saying that on this podcast. (laughs) I don't know if I should be announcing that to everybody. Talk to her individually. She'll tell you how she'll, you know, work with you. But I personally just like, that was, that was a way for me to just, just gain trust and just say like, okay, she's just really, she's that confident in her work product. Um, and she obviously is, is, um, is, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, this editing of this podcast is going to be something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, she is, it's a word with an eye. She's motivated to work together. Um, that, uh, that she, you know, this is what would open up the door to a, a really great relation, working relationship with each other. Um, oh, and I, I, I can tell you that I really appreciated that. And as soon as I can work with you, I will. And I think that that's part of a, you know, an entrepreneur's mindset is like culminating the most incredible group of people around you. That's a lot of what whim is in particular. Um, you got to take advantage of that stuff. You have to really think in that mindset to be like, all right, like I got to meet some great, talented, incredible people, continue to surround myself with them. And like the, the ideal is that one day 
all of those people will all get to work together and like conquer the world. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing. I, but am I kidding? No. <laughs> no, we're, we're there right now. We're, you and I, we're there right now. So again, I can't emphasize enough how wonderful you've been to work with over the years and that I'm just really excited for you in this new venture. So congratulations. Yeah, absolutely. I have a feeling that everybody on this podcast is going to want to reach out to you. Um, Certainly check out your website. Um, What's the best way for people to get in touch? Is it just to go to tanyasilverstein.com and sort of go from there? Absolutely. You can find all the information that you need there, um, information about upcoming courses that I have, um, coaching, um, freelancing opportunities, stuff like that. Ooh, she's got courses, (laughs) y'all. I love it. I love it. We asked this question of everybody on the podcast, and I'm really excited to ask you today. What would you wish you had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or a personal advantage today? I think the thing that I would tell myself is um, be kinder to myself. Um, I think that over the years I've been hard um, on myself in in many positions and um, trust in myself a little bit more. I think that um, there's roles and opportunities that I took or stayed in or um, did I might have done differently if I would have believed in myself a little bit more and maybe taken this jump to uh, entrepreneurship a little bit earlier. Um, I had some people um, push me to do it a few years ago, and I didn't. Um, and taking it now, I, I wish I would have maybe taken that opportunity sooner. Um, but that being said, I'm glad I, for every opportunity that I've had. I think I've learned something in every opportunity. Um, I don't regret um, my past, but I think believing and trusting in myself and not being so hard on myself um, would definitely be my biggest thing. Be kind to yourself, everyone. Yeah, be kind to everybody else, everybody, but also just be kind to yourself. I love that. I mean, that's something that um, that's something that's really, really important. You're with yourself more than anybody else, right? <laughs> you come around a lot of people, but you're with yourself all the time. And so, you know, if, if you're going to be kind to anybody, be kind to yourself. Um, thank you so, so much for being on today. It's such a pleasure chatting with you. I like, especially in quarantine, <laughs> I love to see your face. I love to hear all that you're working on. And um, I'm really excited for this next venture. So congratulations. Thank you everyone so much for listening. Listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments, so comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week. There aren't many faces people are excited to see first thing in the morning before they've even had their coffee. But the McDonald's drive through workers who take your order on the way to work have almost all of those faces. Because nothing brings more joy in the morning than a 99 cents any size iced coffee. Pair it with a glazed full apart donut for a truly great morning. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Only available until 11 a.m. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.